You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I'm here and Aaron's here. We're going to have one guest on the show. Jeff Ehrman is going to join the show. He covers uh, the Terps. Um, and Maryland's got a huge game tonight that Aaron and I will both be at against Penn State. Really the biggest home game they've had in more than a decade. Maybe a lot longer than that. I, I'd go back to, look, there were some big games during the Ralph Region era. You had games at the end of the year for a potential berth in the ACC title game against Wake Forest. But those games didn't have like the feel of a Friday night game against Penn State You know, early in, in the season. They had some big games against Florida State over the years when when Maryland was ranked, but they got blown out in some of those games early in the season. But I'm excited about tonight's game. Aaron and I will talk about it. We'll have Jeff on to discuss it as well. Smell test coming up a little bit later on. Um, I wanted to start with the game last night. Um, that was a really entertaining Thursday night football game. I had the Eagles, by the way, plus four, and I had Memphis minus 11, both winners last night. Not smell test winners, but I gave them out as leans on the podcast. Did you have both, or did you – you were going to play a total in one of those games, yeah, right? Yeah, I decided not to play anything on the uh, the show I do in the afternoons. I gave out a prop, which was uh, Miles Sanders over 60 yards, which oh, hit. So. That did hit. Yeah. In fact, you know, Sanders and Jordan Howard last night, I mean, they ran roughshod over a team that had been playing great defense. The holes, the gaping holes that they had to run through were shocking last night. Um, I thought that the game actually really turned because of Miles Sanders' kickoff return at 10 to nothing. Uh, if you watch that first part of the game, didn't you have a feel that this was going to be an ugly night for the Eagles? The Packers had, mm-hmm. had scored 10 points on two long drives. One of them was 90 yards. The other one was 80 yards and took over eight minutes. Philadelphia had barely touched the ball. It's already into the second quarter. It's 10 to nothing. The Packers are undefeated. The Eagles are coming off a loss to the Lions. And I was thinking, man, the Eagles are going to be a 1-3 and three team and, and with a brutal schedule. I forget if we mentioned this on the show yesterday. They have the Jets next week, but then listen to the Eagles. They're at Minnesota, at Dallas, at Buffalo, Bears at home, Patriots at home, Seattle at home. It's a weird schedule where you play three straight road games and then three straight home games, which is what Philadelphia has going into sort of the middle to latter portion of November. They really needed the game last night. And they got it. That kickoff return sparked their first score, got them into the game. They got a turnover late in the first half. And they went from being down 10 nothing to up 21-13. But Rodgers is lighting it up um, to the tune of, you know, over 400 yards passing last night. At one point, you know, he started 10 for 10. He finished 34 of 53 for 422. But then at the end, Aaron got stopped twice inside the five. The first time, first and goal from the one, they throw it four times and they get stopped. And then the last time, they throw it on second and goal from the three with 30 seconds to go, and there's a deflection and an interception, and the Eagles win the game. Entertaining game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you got to question the play calling down near the goal line, those last two drives for the Packers, obviously. Uh, could be a very different. I, I would have liked to see it go to overtime just because it was a very entertaining game. But, yeah, I mean, that's one of the big takeaways is – you know, we spent so long, or the Packers fans spent so long complaining about Mike McCarthy and his play calling, and, and at least last night, Matt LaFleur didn't look much better. Yeah, I, what we didn't learn after the game, because I watched some of the post game is whether or not those were check-with-me's, you know, situations where Aaron Rodgers was essentially checking from run 
to throw were they RPOs. The last one could have been. They also did not have Devontae Adams on that final drive. He got hurt after, by the way, a night that included 10 catches for 180 yards. But you said you had a, a specific question. Yeah, I did, actually. And this doesn't really have to do with anything specific to the game other than the fact that there was that one play, the pass interference replay, where it seemed like it was blatant pass interference and they didn't overturn it. So here's my question. Going back to the play that sparked this, that Rams-Sates game, knowing what we know now, do you think that gets overturned? Yeah. Yeah, that one would with the rule in place. I mean, that was it was a violent. As... It was a violent hit clearly before the ball got there. I mean, that was as blatant as we could have gotten the other day. Just the guy basically being raked by the face mask right well before, and he that did. was obvious, and they didn't overturn it. I know that, and and maybe, um, I, but it wasn't. It wasn't as it was obvious. It wasn't egregious like last year's NFC title game penalty. I, I really think they're going to rethink this whole yeah, thing. I mean, the system's with, broken. With challenging PI and with it being able to be overturned from the booth. I actually thought that there was a, a potential... Oh, well, look, on the very final play of the game, um, on the on the interception, you, you know, there was some contact there. I Did yeah. they even talk about that getting reviewed they, as a potential PI that they could have thrown the flag from New York I know on that? I think the booth did. Either the booth did or people on Twitter were saying something about it. But yeah, I mean, uh, it yeah. shouldn't have been a, a flag. I mean, but it was there was contact. There was definitely contact. Simultaneous you, or you, just before it. You could have made the case yeah. that there should have been a flag. If it had been called, I don't think they would have overturned it. Right. Um uh, that that had disaster written all over it from the jump. Uh, you know the Sean Payton and New Orleans Saints whining and suing everybody. Uh, you know, really, you know, prompted this. The NFL felt like they had to respond. They didn't, in my view. We've had lots of these incredible controversial finishes in the NFL before over the years, and they've only added to the league's lore and legend. Um, but they wanted to do this, and uh, I be- I would bet you. Um, I'd get some odds on this, but I would bet you that this rule is not in place next year. I bet there's like a three-to-one shot that they pull this thing back for 2020. By the way, speaking of the NFL, before we get to the Redskins beat uh, the Giants, if, there was a story yesterday that Adam Schefter had that the league is considering a 17-game schedule. um, And a 17-game schedule with no preseason, eliminating the preseason as in its entirety. This is a no-brainer to me. I, I was listening to some reaction to this, and I couldn't believe the pushback to this from fans and media members. The players, in terms of safety, if you eliminated the preseason and added one regular season game, it would essentially add up to almost the same amount of football All right, as the current 16-game regular season with four preseason games. Russell Wilson played four quarters in the preseason. There were some teams that played their starters five, six, seven quarters in the preseason. I know some only played a quarter or two. But the bottom line is is that one additional regular season game, if you eliminate the preseason, isn't going to add any real safety issues or health concerns. It isn't. It would be the same amount of football. In fact, you could argue that that 17th game, in many cases, the starters aren't playing anyway. If their season's already been wrapped up or if their season, you know, they've already clinched a playoff berth and they're resting guys, that always happens anyway. You'll do two scrimmages. You know, teams are already doing one anyway. And and this, 
This thought that, you know, 17 is an odd number. You can't have that. I don't, I don't get that at all. I'd prefer 18. I would. But Aaron, I actually have a couple of ideas with a 17 game schedule. Are you ready for them? Sure. So if they go to a 17 game schedule, um, I would add three additional division games. Meaning, instead of playing the six division games that you play now, I would play nine division games. I would emphasize what so many people love about the NFL, and that is division rivalry games. Right now, of the 16 played, only six are within your division. If you move to a 17-game schedule, I'd play nine of the 17 games against division teams. That means, yes, you would play... You know, an additional three division games, so you would be playing your division rivals three times, not twice. Now, would on a, uh, every other year, you would have four at home, five on the road, and the next year, you'd have five at home and four on the road. It would just rotate. And then the other eight games, you'd play four against an AFC division, and you'd take one of the divisions in your conference, the NFC in the Redskins case, and play four games against them. That would be the rest of your schedule. I think it would be, it's something that Major League Baseball, you know, when they went to a, a new scheduling system, emphasized, they did it in the NBA years ago, emphasizing these division rivalries and playing each team three times a year. What do you think of that? As a viewer, I don't think I'd like that because I kind of like the fact that it is it is so different. You get so many different matchups to see, you know, Patriots versus Dolphins three times in a year would not be fun as a viewer. Well, when you pick that division as the sure. example. Well, I, I you understand know? that, but, but, if, but if, you would get that. That's the thing is you yeah. would get those You'd games three times. You'd also get Cowboys-Eagles three times a year. Yeah, I mean. I... Uh, that's fine. I, yeah. I, that That's a controversial scheduling thing if you go to 17. Hell, you could do it with 16 if you really wanted to. You, right. don't, have, you don't need the extra game. Here's the other thing that I think the NFL should consider if they went to 17 games, and I think they will. I think if you go to 17 games, it's not only the additional regular season game that you're going to get, which is going to increase revenue in your next television deal, but you're going to go to a 14-team playoff field, seven in each conference. You're going to add a playoff team in each conference. And what you're going to do with that is essentially that first weekend, you're going to you're going to give the top team in each conference the bye, and the other six teams in each conference are going to play. And you're going to have a triple header in that first well, you know, playoff weekend. Uh, they may call it wild card weekend. They may not. Um, but that would be an exciting first weekend of the playoffs, which gives the NFL, by the way, additional playoff games also to sell to the networks. By the way, one of the changes I would make in adding a playoff team to each conference is I would seed the field based on record. Now, the qualifying for the postseason would remain the same. Four division winners qualify, and now you would have three wild cards in each conference. But once you have your seven qualified playoff teams, I would seed them based on record one to seven. You have to eliminate the seven and nine or eight and eight division winner playing an 11 and five wild card team at home. I would eliminate that. By the way, that would also ensure that games late in seasons with teams that have already qualified could still be important because you'd be playing for home field advantage in that first game more, th- more often than you do now. 
So those are the changes I would make. I, I would go to a different scheduling in the regular season, playing more division games. I would add a conference, uh, a, a playoff team to each conference, 14 overall, seven in each conference. I'd seed them one to seven, and you'd have an exciting first weekend of that playoffs with a triple header on Saturday, triple header on Sunday. By the way, I don't understand how you would be against this as a fan of the game. And personally, I don't get why the NFLPA would be against it. I understand they're trying to negotiate and they're trying to keep some leverage in this next CBA negotiation, which by the way, according to Schefter is going well. The revenue would grow because of the additional week of the regular season and the additional playoff games. More revenue means no matter what your percentage is, you get a bigger piece of a bigger of a bigger pie. I would hope that the NFL would increase roster sizes, creating more job opportunities. Um, but I just see this as a complete no-brainer. And I've heard people suggest, well, you know, if you go to a 17 or an 18 game schedule, uh, you should limit the number of games that a player can play to 16. That is absolutely absurd. First of all, that cheats the fans. It cheats the game. And what are we really talking about again in a 17 game schedule? Maybe it's an additional quarter. It's an additional 10 snaps for the season. Is that really a safety concern? If you eliminate the preseason, I'm all for it. Uh, By the way, uh, one more thing before I get to Redskins beat Giants. If I read this uh, yesterday, Archie Manning was interviewed by the Indianapolis star and asked about what Peyton's doing. And he said, Peyton would like to be back in football. Now, he's been offered every broadcasting job. In fact, part of the story indicated that ESPN flew to his home in the offseason in Denver and really put the hard sell on Peyton to come back and do Monday Night Football. That would have been pretty cool. I, I would not have wanted him to do it with Joe Tessitore, but this is what Archie said about Peyton. He wants to be back in football in an ownership or a front office capacity. And basically what Archie implied is that if there's a team out there that would allow him to basically run the football operation and be a minority stakeholder in the franchise, that Peyton would really consider it. Hello, Dan Snyder, call Peyton Manning. I have no idea if he'd end up being great at that. John Elway, as it turns out, isn't great at that. He's okay. He got Peyton Manning. He got to a couple of Super Bowls. Didn't win one. Well, he did win one. I'm sorry. Did win that last one over Carolina. But but since, has really struggled to find a quarterback. Tell me as a Redskin fan that if Dan Snyder, when he fires you know, uh, Jay Gruden, and I, I believe this, and I've mentioned this you know, over the last few weeks, I think Bruce Allen, more likely than not, I was wrong last year, but I think more likely than not, he won't be back next year. That would be my guess. I think he might retire, you know, and maybe go off with Jay as he did with John in Tampa. Um, but would you be excited about Peyton Manning coming in to run the organization? It's really hard for these owners, believe it or not, to give up, you know, some sort of equity stake in the team. But God, I mean, what do you really need to give up? You give up five percent, you know, give up five percent of the team. You know, wh- what's their valuation? Three billion. So you're talking about hundred and fifty million dollars worth of value that you're going to give right off the bat to somebody at 5%, right? That's the math on that. Um, I would I would do I would think about anything like that. By the way, it would really inject a level of enthusiasm into what's left of the fan base and 
the fan base that is left that you still might be able to get back by hiring Peyton Manning. Uh, by the way, th- uh, talking about retired quarterbacks, how, how about Tony Romo yesterday at the Safeway Open in Portland? He shot a first round two under. He's actually in the thick to make in, in the thick of it to make his first cut on the PGA mm-hmm. Tour. If he makes the cut, he's not calling the game on right. Sunday with Jim Nance. Which game do they have? I don't even know. I'd have to look that up. Let me pull up. Uh, um, trying to think of what the big CBS games are. Might be Lions Chiefs. Uh, he's, he's oh, that's to, on no, Fox. He's supposed to be uh, Vikings Bears. Vikings Bears is a CBS game. Yeah, yeah, last, right. I know. Yeah, last one, couple of years. Yeah, last couple of years, and I feel like last week there was a weird one like that. Yeah, we've had they've they've decided to do to do that. Remember, yeah. for a, a several year stretch, CBS really was coming out on the short end of the stick in big games. Mm-hmm. You know, with the AFC package, right? So the NFL decided to go to these games, not just flex scheduling, but cross flexing. I think they yeah. call it. Where you know a game that would have been on Fox, like Vikings Bears, is on CBS uh, Sunday at four twenty-five. So that's the Nance Romo game. If Romo isn't there, I, f- I forget who even the number two team is on CBS. Uh, but uh, that that guy would probably step in and replace um, Romo in the game. Uh, that would be. It's actually kind of interesting to see Tony Romo out there trying to create a golf career because so many of these guys have tried and none of them have ever really done it. And people will tell you there's a big difference between a scratch, you know, golfer or a plus one or a plus two and an actual, you know, pro. Like there's a massive difference. But Romo went out there yesterday, shot two under, you know, beat guys like Mickelson and uh, a few others in that first round. Um, uh, with a really good round. I think Mickelson was two over or three over or something like that in, in the first round. Uh, anyway, um, let's get to Redskins beat Giants if. Redskins beat Giants if. Redskins win if. Um, here's the obvious. The defense has to be a lot better. All right. Uh, the defense right now um, on pace to be the worst third down defense in NFL history. They're allowing 63.4% conversions on third down. That is horrific. Um, it is one of the worst ever numbers for an NFL team through three weeks of the season. Gre- Greg Minuski is obviously taking the brunt of the blame because most of us think that the defense is more talented than its production. I think it is. I mean, you know, after three games, I still like Allen. I still like Payne. I still like Ioannidis. Defense has to get off the field on third down, period. They've got to keep Jones in the pocket. He's got good vision, feel in the pocket. By the way, if you haven't seen Daniel Jones, if you didn't see him at Duke, if this is going to be your first experience of Daniel Jones, the dude's big. He's 6'5", 225. He really hurt Tampa with his legs as much as he did with his arm. He also got sacked five times, holding on to the ball a little bit too long. Redskins only have five sacks in three games. They've got to get off the the field on third down with more pressure, a lot more pressure, and all the while somehow containing Jones. By the way, the Giants shouldn't be able to run the ball without Barkley. Wayne Gallman, seriously? I mean, that's the replacement Sunday for Barkley? If the defense doesn't produce on Sunday, we're going to see big changes on Monday. Big changes. The defense must be better. Daniel Jones might be good, but it is his second start. Last week, he lit up Tampa. Tampa's defense isn't supposed to be that good, although Todd Bowles is doing a good job there. God, I wish they'd gotten Todd Bowles. 
The Redskins win if their defense is just at least a little bit better than it's been. They'll also win the game if they torch their first bad defensive opponent of the year. Man, the Redskins got it good here to start the season in terms of the defenses they faced. Phillies, Dallas's, both good defenses, and then Chicago's, elite. And by the way, they, they didn't account for, uh, incredibly, one of the best defensive players in the game in Khalil Mack. The Giant defense is truly soft. They've allowed 31.3 points per game and 460 yards per game. Remember, they traded away or they let go their best players defensively, one of which is Landon Collins. I'll get to him in a moment. Dallas, Buffalo, and Tampa move the ball up and down the field against the Giants. Dallas in the opener, they basically scored 35 points and put up 500 yards in three quarters and then took their foot off the pedal in the fourth. Um, by the way, just as an aside, um, I've mentioned this in the podcast. Tommy and I got into this on Tuesday, but someone else uh, who I, I'm going to leave nameless really came after me for um, for suggesting that the Redskins' offense performed well in the second half on Monday night. And I told Tommy they didn't play prevent. Tommy was convinced they played prevent. I love Tommy. Um, this isn't, you know, they, they didn't play prevent. I went back and watched the entire second half coaches' film. Not only did they not play prevent, they actually played cover zero, which is the opposite of prevent, on several plays in the second half. The Bears did not play one snap in the second half of prevent defense, not one. So if somebody tells you that they did, and the Redskins got all that yardage and those points because Chicago was just letting them do it, tell them they don't know anything about football or they were watching a different game. All right, I went back and I watched every single play on the coach's film. I'm not a former player, but I know the difference between prevent and cover zero. I know the difference between prevent and cover one or cover two or quarters coverage. Just so you know, prevent defense by definition in the NFL, if you ask any coach or any player, is when you've got four, more than four, more than four deep in coverage, and you are truly saying, throw the ball underneath all you want, and we're going to let you move all the way down the field. We just want to eat clock. We just want you to eat clock doing it. The Bears didn't play one snap of more than four deep in coverage. All right, again, they played some cover zero, they played a ton of cover one with some blitz out of the cover one. They played cover three. They had a zone blitz on one of the Redskins' touchdown drives. Here's what they didn't play. They didn't play prevent defense. So for the person that tweeted me about this, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. Now, did the Bears relax? You know, mentally with a 28-3 to halftime lead? Of course. I absolutely concede that point that they probably did. You know, that's a natural thing, to relax mentally. But they didn't relax strategically. Okay? They didn't. Anyway, back to the Giant game. The good news about the Giants is their defense has no Fletcher Cox. It has no Jalen Smith or Leighton Vander Esch or Khalil Mack. All right, I guarantee you that this is the game in which Jay Gruden and Bruce Allen and many in the organization have pointed at here over the first three weeks saying, we can get right against them, and then we'll lose to the Patriots, but we'll beat the Dolphins and we'll be 2-4. and four. 
If they don't move the ball, if they don't score 27-plus against a team that's allowing 31-plus, Clinton Portis told told me this on Monday on the show, you can start lining up the U-Hauls. They'll be driving to Ashburn to move everybody out because there's no way this group survives a bad defensive day, Greg Minuski, or a bad offensive day against this particular defense, Jay Gruden and company. I don't know about the Gruden thing. I do feel like Minuski's got no chance to survive if the defense plays poorly. Um, got to cover Evan Engram in this game. The the best, you know, the best outlet for a young quarterback is a pass catching tight end, and Engram's really good. He had six catches on eight targets last week for 113 yards. By the way, the Redskins have allowed tight ends in the first three games to catch 17 balls on on 19 targets. That's a pretty good hit rate through three games. They've got to cover Evan Engram. Uh, They've got to coach this game better. Minuski's defense, you know, Gruden preparing this team to come out with urgency that reflects that their season is on the line. You know, we've seen Jay's teams more often than not lay big fat eggs in urgent game situations. The only recent example where I thought they really came out and competed in a game that they had to have was that Tennessee game last year. And they didn't win the game, but I thought that was one of the best coaching jobs Gruden's done in his five-plus years here. By the way, that in that particular game, Adrian Peterson played a huge role. You know, the giant defense is bad, and they've allowed people to run the ball against them. This could be the game where Jay decides to emphasize the running game and use Adrian Peterson. I wouldn't mind that. I don't think he's going to do that. I think if he goes down, he's going down swinging with his offense and getting the ball out quickly and some of that quick game that we saw in the second half against the Bears and using Chris Thompson. I wouldn't mind that either. Uh, Two final points. Skins win if. Um, This is a payback game on two fronts. First of all, they were absolutely humiliated last December at FedEx Field by the Giants. The Giants were a bad team, and they came in here and they led 34 to nothing at the half. They led 40 to nothing early in the third quarter. It was an embarrassment. It was a game, and I talked about this yesterday. I know this for a fact, that Jay Gruden and Bruce Allen were really still thinking, hey, we still got a shot at the playoffs. We play the Giants. We play Jacksonville. We need our defense to step up. It's played pretty well at times during the course of the year. If our defense can step up against two bad offensive teams, you know, we may get Colt McCoy back for the season finale against Philadelphia with a chance to make the postseason. And that defense went out against the Giants in early December last year at FedEx Field and got annihilated, embarrassed. And that was the day, I really believe, if they didn't feel before that, that they decided they were going to try to replace Greg Minuski. The Giants ran right through them, had them all figured out. In what game? Tell me an NFL game that hasn't included the Patriots and the and the Dolphins last week, where a team's led forty to nothing early in the third quarter. I guess the, anybody playing the, the Dolphins this year, the Ravens in the opener. It's so odd to see that, and yet it happened. That's a payback game for the Redskins, and then there's the payback for Landon Collins. All right, Landon Collins has this game. And the other 11 that he's contractually scheduled to play against his former team, he's got all 12 of these circled. He told us that. He's been obsessed with his former team since the moment he signed here. 
hasn't been able to refrain from talking about them at every turn. He's promised revenge, payback. He's like a jilted lover. It's like his ex-girlfriend cut him loose and he can't get over Dave Gettleman in the organization. He is promised big-time payback, typical of the organization. You know, this is a must game for his new team, so he better have the interests of his new team top of mind. Go dominate your former team. You said they screwed up by letting you go. You said they screwed up by taking Daniel Jones instead of Dwayne Haskins. You've been consumed with this game for months now. Go back it up, or you're going to look like a fool. Which, by the way, in this organization, you won't stand out that much. But this is your game, Landon Collins. Don't disappoint us. We're watching closely. I am anyway. All right. I want to get to Penn State, Maryland uh, here in a moment and bring in Jeff Ehrman to talk about that. But a quick word about mybookie.ag. A lot of you have always asked, Kevin, where can I wager? Where can I bet your smell test picks? And by the way, the smell test is coming up. I've got 15 plays and some really bad teams in those plays. You'll just have to trust me on it. Um, but mybookie.ag is a, go, is a place to go play. It's really important where you play, almost as important as who you bet on. All right, you got you to gotta know that you, you're betting with a reliable book. You're going to get fast payouts. You're going to get solid lines. And mybookie.ag has that. I wouldn't tell you guys this if they weren't reputable and reliable. MyBookie's got all the latest lines. They've got all the bets that you want to make. Do the smart thing. Bet with MyBookie. Right now, if you join, MyBookie will double your first deposit. You've got to use my promo code, though, KevinDC. That's K-E-V-I-N-D-C to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie.ag today. Use my promo code, KevinDC, and you will get your first deposit doubled. You play, you win, you get paid at MyBookie.ag. All right, a big one tonight uh, in College Park. Aaron and I will both be there. Maryland hosting 12th-ranked Penn State. Uh, Penn State's a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, this game is sold out. Uh, I can't. I don't know the last time they sold out a game. I'm going to assume that it was during the Freegen era and probably over those first five years. Maybe they had. Maybe they sold out that Miami Labor Day uh, night game. Aaron, maybe um, in uh, that was Edsel's first game. Um, we bring in Jeff Ehrman. Uh, Jeff uh, covers Maryland for InsideMarylandSports.com, part of the 24-7 uh, sports uh, network. Jeff's a, a friend, and he does a great job covering uh, Maryland sports. Um, follow him on Twitter, at Jeff underscore uh, Ehrman. Am I right about that, that the last sellout was the Miami game on Labor Day night, Edsel's first game? Yeah, it's funny. As you said that, I was thinking, if they did under you know in recent years since – Friedman's been gone. It had to be that Miami game. I'd have to go back and look, but I remember that being, that game being a pretty uh, packed, kind of wild atmosphere. So if they have since Friedman, that would be the one. Otherwise, as you know, the stadium's been far from sold out. Before we get to tonight's game in the matchup, um, you know, I, I, I get Loxley on the radio show now, which is a lot of fun. I had Ralph on the show earlier this week. He was great. He is still totally yeah. with it. Um, and uh, you know, you, I think you and I were, were big Ralph fans. I, I just, I still to this day can't understand how they cut him loose after winning the ACC Coach of the Year in 2010. 
but are, are, is Maryland football, where is it? Like, do, do you have this sense that it is on the verge of creating some real momentum here? Yeah, I mean, you never want to stay on the verge because we both know what happens every time Maryland football is on the verge. Yeah. As your, your, your friend Scott Vampel likes to say, you know, Lucy pulls the football away right as Charlie Brown's getting ready to kick it through the upright. That's pretty much through the uprights. Uh, you know, last time they were ranked before this, they, they went and got hammered 63 to nothing at Florida State. And this time they're finally ranked and everybody's on board. Even nationally, they're getting more hype. And then, you know, they go and lose to Temple. So, you know, not quite on the verge, but the potential is there. You know, they're better. They seem to be better than they have been. Uh, people are, are back on board to some extent because of Mike Loxley and because of they have a little bit more of a splashy offense, I think, than they've had in recent years. But you've got to get that breakthrough win, and that's why this game is so big. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's huge. Um, and, you know, the Friday night nature of it, national TV, you know, if this were a Saturday 12 noon game, I don't know that we would see the same sort of hype in, in turnout. And the Temple loss obviously put a little bit of a damper on it. But I, I actually, you know, have watched Penn State a couple of times I think this is a reasonable chance for Maryland tonight. You know, Penn State's offensive line is rough. This is Clifford's first road start. Um, and I don't know what the atmosphere is going to be. I'm, I'm going to assume there's going to be a significant number of Penn State fans in the crowd. I would say, oh, yeah. I mean, Aaron, what's your guess? I'm going to say 30 to 40% of the crowd. 40, 40 sounds right. Jeff, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think 60, 40 Maryland is my guess. I would think it may be even close. You know, you don't want to say 50-50, but there's just so many alums in the area. They travel so well, and, and Maryland fans still aren't fully on board. So, you know, I would guess 60-40. So do you, have, do you have the same sense that I do that this is a winnable game? I do. I think Vegas agrees. When you look at the point spread, it's only six and a half, you know, so they're they're begging you to take Penn State, it seems like to me. So, I think they do have a chance. You know, Penn State, like you said, it's Clifford's first road start. This isn't the Penn State team that we've seen the past several years, the one that's beaten Maryland. I think the combined score is 142 to 20 the past three years. It's not that same team. Barkley's gone, obviously. Trace McSorley's gone. You know, they're still talented. They still, you know, if you go by recruiting rankings, are, are clearly a level above Maryland talent-wise, but they're not as dominant. I think for Maryland – you know, the biggest thing is, is, and it's very cliche, but it's all about the play at the line of scrimmage. Maryland's offensive line is looking pretty sketchy. Penn State's got a lot of uh, a lot of talent on the defensive line. And then on the other side of things, Maryland really didn't create that much, much of a pass rush uh, against Temple after looking pretty good the first few games. So, you know, skill position-wise, I think you could argue that Maryland's the better team. But, you know, as I think is going to be the question all season is, you know, can they can they keep up uh, in the trenches? This is the way I see this one. Sometimes I think about these games this way when when you sort of look at the matchups. That's this is one of those games you're going to know early, and I think we're going to know it defensively for Maryland if they get handled up front and Penn State's moving the ball with ease, which they did not do against Pitt. They didn't even really do against Buffalo. They trailed that game ten seven at halftime. Um, and if they if they if Maryland's manhandled defensively up front, even with the speed at linebacker and in the secondary, that's not going to be a good sign. But if they can get off the field two or three times in in the first you know four drives and force punts, I think it bodes well. Yeah, I mean, I think that Maryland's defense will hold its own. You know, I don't think they're going to get manhandled there. 
Uh, they've got a pretty underrated defense. When you look at all the numbers, obviously the numbers are still a little bit stilted because of that Howard game, but uh, they're, they're one of the better defenses in the Big Ten so far in a lot of categories, including scoring and, and several others. So, you know, I think that they'll hold their own, especially, with, like I said, with Penn State not having those kind of explosive playmakers they've had the past few years. Uh, to me, again, the thing more to watch is can Maryland protect Josh Jackson enough to get things going and then get the, get the running game going from there because Penn State's going to stack the box against those, uh, those really good Maryland running backs. So, you know, that's where you're worried to me about getting manhandled. You, that offensive line's got to hold up. It can't be like Temple where Jackson's ending up on his back half the time and then you know, half of the rest of the time he's he's rushing throws or missing throws because he, he's in a rush and being hit so much. So that, I think, to me is the thing. Well, I think the defense will, will be fine. Yeah, and Maryland, you know, had an injury along the offensive line, so they're banged up there. So let's go to the offense. You've already mentioned Josh Jackson. That was a rough outing. They had all of those opportunities in the red zone inside the 10-yard line in the fourth quarter to take the lead. Um, he missed a wide-open touchdown throw. Really looked rattled at times against Temple. Um, I've heard some people say that that they believe, you know, Terrell Pigram, you know, gives them, you know, something that Jackson doesn't. I love Jackson in those first two games, especially in the RPO stuff. I thought he made great decisions and great yeah. throws and really distributed the ball well. Um, you know, had Loxley on yesterday. He he's expecting a big bounce back. Didn't talk anything about you know the opportunity for for Piggy necessarily. Um, but Jackson's got to play well tomorrow night and probably early, don't you think? T- tomorrow night, tonight. Yeah, uh, I I think that I don't think he's at risk of being yanked unless he has a disastrous first half or something like that. You could see the pig roam package, you know, an extra time or two maybe if he's struggling. Um, but I think Jackson will play this one out. He did, he said this week that you know he acknowledged that he had missed several reads in the pen or excuse me in the Temple game and really wasn't himself. He said that he's fixed that in the past few days of practice, which obviously, you know, it's hard to just fix something like that in practice, but going by his track record, you know, he's a pretty accurate guy at Virginia Tech too. So you have to kind of look at, look at that Temple game as an aberration until proven otherwise. Uh, But, you know, I don't think tonight's the night where, where Loxley would make a switch. If he really struggled and they, they lost the game or if they're down big at halftime, you never know, but I think Jackson will ride this out. Yeah, I think so too, and I and I actually, you know, you, I think we, we, you know, we, we, Aaron and I, Aaron and I have talked about this that the last few years, the skill position talent that they've had, we saw it against Ohio State late last year. It's been really about the quarterback offensively, and Jackson's given them something I think they just haven't had. Um, I would love him to to be more consistent and more accurate um, for sure. Um, we're talking to Jeff Ehrman. Jeff covers Maryland. Uh, for InsideMarylandSports.com. Tonight it's Maryland-Penn State. Huge game. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. All right, give me a prediction before we let you run. You know, I think it's going to be a close game, Kevin. I think Maryland's got a good chance to win it. But when you look at just the series record, you know, the fact that Maryland's beaten them one time, I think, what, in the past 400 years yeah. it's been roughly. Um, you know, i got, I got to go with Penn State 27 you know, it'd probably be a little higher scoring. Penn State 31, Maryland 28. I think it's a close game. I think they have a shot, but I I, I don't think you can pick them. And I, given that track record and given those concerns, 
about the offensive line, but it should be a good game. I hope people um, really, uh, really give Ralph, who's going to be back there tonight, you know, um, give him a, a warm welcome. I think they will. You got a lot of people. It's been, look, it's been nine years now since he yeah. coached here. You know, it doesn't seem like that long ago. And I have been so impressed, by the way, um, Jeff and Aaron, with the way Loxley has referred to Ralph. Remember Edsel when he got here, how disrespectful he was to Ralph publicly? It really turned a lot of us off um, there at the beginning. Loxley obviously coached with him and, and considers him to be an incredible mentor, but I just love the way he's handled um, that and, and really, you know, um, really made Ralph a, a part of this in many ways, including, you know, tonight. Yeah, I think he'll get a, a raucous ovation you know there's things you notice as a publisher of a site like mine you see what gets a reaction and and there's a few things anything gary williams related gets a reaction and not quite to that same level but anything you do on freegen whether you know it gets a warm reaction from the fans everybody still brings up how how raw of a deal he got being fired so he's he's over and 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 he had a great run i mean for for maryland football three years in a row winning 10 games is an incredible run but also when you look at the things that have happened since I think has also built his mystique with the fans just see how these other guys after him have struggled kind of illustrates how difficult it was to do those things and as a, also as a Maryland alum that makes it an even kind of warmer relationship so I think they'll go nuts for him tonight. yeah I do too uh, by the way I might as well with you on the phone just ask you um you think this is the year in basketball, they're going to be preseason top, you know, eight to twelve somewhere in that range. You know, they got they got a lot of juice coming back. Um, you know, Michigan State obviously is very good. They'll probably be the preseason number one or number two team in the country. But is this the year they go deep into March? Yeah, I think this has to be the year. You know, you look at this drought, and it's not a drought like other schools that, that don't go to the tournament for eight or 10 years in a row, but by Maryland standards, it's a drought. You've been to that one sweet 16 since 2003. And even that was kind of a lukewarm sweet 16. As we remember, you know, you beat Hawaii and, and uh, South Dakota state, and then you lose to Kansas. So it wasn't even really a fulfilling one. So now you've got, you know, your, your most hyped team since that year, I think a better team. So, you know, it's hard to say it will be because the, you know, the, the recent history is that they haven't made the deep run in March, but all the pieces are there. I think Turgeon knows that this is the year that everybody's expecting that breakthrough, which is a good and bad thing. There's going to be a lot of pressure on him to win this year, but you know, they're, they're so deep, uh, both backcourt and you know, the front court's not as proven, but there's still a lot of young talent there. So I feel like this is definitely the best shot that they've had to break through since, since that 2015 team. And, and while that team got more hype, especially with the individual players, mellow and, and Diamond Stone and all those guys, I feel like this is a better overall team. Yeah, uh, looking forward to that. Um, thanks, as always, for making time for us. Jeff Ehrman, InsideMarylandSports.com. Follow him on Twitter, at Jeff underscore Ehrman, E-R-M-A-N-N. If you're a Terp fan, he's a must-follow. Thanks, Jeff, as always. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Always great to catch up with uh, Jeff Ehrman. If you're a Terp fan and you're not following him on Twitter and reading him, uh, you're doing yourself a disservice. I, I actually, you guys were talking about the sellout tonight, and I did go back and look. Uh, the last time the, I guess at that time, Bird Stadium was sold out was uh, the first time Michigan came to town. Oh, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. I was at that first Ohio State game when Ohio State came in whatever year that was now, 2016, 2015, 
whatever it was. Probably and 2014, right? I, yeah. that, I think it was close. That place was packed. I mean, yeah. it was mostly Ohio State fans. Right. But that's true. I forgot about the Big Ten, you know, Michigan and Ohio State. And I bet even Penn State's first visit here was probably uh, Pretty super packed. Pretty packed, yeah. Though I feel like that might have been over a Thanksgiving in, or something it like was, that. I think it was. Yeah. Or maybe even in Baltimore. They yes, did. yes. That first game was in Baltimore. You're right. Yeah, I think it was. Um, all right. Uh, real quickly before we get to the smell test um, this week. Uh, how about the Nationals just absolutely embarrassing the Phillies over the last five days? And really, this this is so interesting in the National League with the Nats and the Brewers just surging. The Brewers have won 18 of their last 20 games, seven in a row, 18 of 20. And this weekend, it comes down to you know the Brewers are in Colorado, St. Louis is they're playing the Cubs, and that's going to determine the Nats' opponent um, in the uh, in that game uh, on Tuesday. And the Nats are on a roll. And by the way, Strasburg's been incredible. In his last eight starts, 10 earned runs in total. I'm starting to think that he might be a better option on Tuesday night. I think that, yeah, if you're looking for who's the best person to win that game, it's definitely Strasburg. You can make the argument that, you know, Scherzer's great, and it's, you know, Scherzer's before, so it makes more sense to do it. Plus, you get that would mean you would get Strasburg for game one of the NLDS and game four or whatever. Right. So you could make that argument, but if you're saying who gives you the best chance to win that game, it's Strasburg. Yeah, I, I, I mean, if that happens, uh, it's not going to shock uh, anybody at this point because I think basically what Rizzo said on the Junkies yesterday is they want home field advantage, but they also want Max to start the play uh, the wild card game. But if they're trying to get home field advantage, and Sunday's game against Cleveland is meaningful. That's Max's next scheduled start. So if he starts that game, he can't start the wild card game. And the next up would be Strasburg on Tuesday night. I'd be fine with that if that's the way it plays out over the weekend. Uh, an exciting final weekend for them. And then Tuesday night, uh, we'll be all over it here. Tommy will be on the show, obviously, Tuesday. Um, and even on Monday, we'll try to get uh, somebody on to help preview uh, the wild card game, which it's possible we won't even know on Monday because St. Louis and Milwaukee could end up playing, you know, a one game playoff to determine the division winner there. Uh, all right, let's get to the smell test. Kevin looks where the John Q public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's, it's time, time for, for the, the smell, smell test. test. Oh man, do I have some hold your nose teams today in the smell test? Um, last week, nine, five, and one. Following up on the nine and zero week from the week before, so that's eighteen five and one over the last two weeks. Twenty four twelve and one now on the season. Uh, that's a, um, a a pretty healthy sixty seven percent, Aaron. Uh, that's not bad. Um, actually, that's really good, and I'm pretty sure it will turn the other way at some point. Let's hope it's not this weekend. Um, I wanted to point out that I was 9-5-1 and one last week. However, the West Virginia game that we gave out on Friday, we gave out at minus 5.5. Most of you that played West Virginia played it at 4 or 4.5 four at Kansas, and you won it. You know, they won by 5. Because I played them, and they won um, covered. Uh, but we're giving out the Friday lines on covers, although between the radio show ending this morning and me talking to Aaron... Covers this today wasn't updating as quickly as they usually do. So there was a bad line I gave out on the radio show that I did update on my blog, and I will uh, let you know what that is here momentarily. If you're new to the smell test, it's really simple. 
Um, there is a uh, a feeling that I've had over the years of of sort of taking my lumps as a sports better, certainly when I was younger, that I don't know anything, um, but the house does, Vegas does. And so if they put out a point spread that has everybody lined up on one side, like uh, the Vegas odds makers made some sort of mistake, I just decide that they didn't make a mistake, and I go against the public. That's essentially it. I've got a lot of offshore contacts. Um, in fact, this morning I, I mentioned on the radio show, and Greg got a kick out of this, I said I have not gotten my WhatsApp update from my <laughs> offshore contact, which I usually get late Thursday night, and I hadn't gotten it uh, this morning, uh, last night, but I did get it uh, during the show this morning. So that was able uh, that that helped me sort of nail down the picks. So there's some information I have too on sharp money and sharp betters. There are a few of them. You don't know any of them, trust me. Uh, but I get some of that information as well. All right, um, tonight Duke's getting two and a half against Virginia Tech in Blacksburg. You know, typically Virginia Tech at night is a public play. Um, Duke is two and one. Uh, Virginia Tech, uh, the same. By the way, you know what's really interesting about Duke? They beat Middle Tennessee, not a bad team last week, forty-one to eighteen. If you go back to that opener against Alabama, where they played in Atlanta, right? That game was in Atlanta. That game was fourteen to three at halftime. And if you watch that game, Duke had multiple opportunities to add to that three that they got on Bama. I, David Cutcliffe is such a good coach, and that team is always so well prepared. Um, that 42 to three final score was essentially Bama's athletes just wearing Duke down, but Duke was good against them in the first half. Uh, Duke's getting a number that the public perceives to be short. Take Duke plus the two and a half tonight in Blacksburg, buy it to three. All right, Aaron, you want to explain to everybody what buying it to three means? You uh, have to pay a little extra juice. So if it's minus one ten, you're now playing probably minus one twenty, minus one twenty five, but you get the extra half point. Yeah, try to get it at no worse than minus one twenty. Uh, if you wait and you're patient, you typically can get it no worse than minus one twenty. What does that mean? That means that typically, if you lose on a one hundred dollar bet, all right, at let's say two and a half tonight, you would pay one hundred and ten dollars on a loss. If you buy the half point to get Duke getting three points and you lose you'd lose $120 tonight. So you have to pay a little bit more to get that half point. It's worth it at 2.5. It's worth it at 6.5. It's worth it at 9.5. It's worth it at 13.5. Those are the numbers where you're buying half points to get them to those numbers that final scores often fall on. Duke tonight, plus 2.5 at Virginia Tech. Uh, tomorrow, I like Toledo, plus 1.5 against BYU. BYU lost last week to Washington, but they had beaten USC the week before. Toledo's actually good. Nobody knows it. I think they win that game uh, plus one and a half against BYU. That number may have changed here recently, um, but that's the number I gave out on the radio show this morning. The one number I'm going to change from the radio show is Miami of Ohio um, because they were minus one and a half on covers earlier today. The line's actually gone to them plus three. I'm still going to give them out because the public loves Buffalo in this game against Miami of Ohio. By the way, Miami of Ohio, if you've never been to Miami of Ohio, what a beautiful school that is. Oxford, Ohio, one of the true sort of quintessential Americana college towns. It's beautiful. Uh, they've had a lousy football team for years. They lost last week to Ohio State 76-5. to they lost the week before to Cincinnati, thirty-five to thirteen. They've been outscored one hundred and eleven to eighteen the last two weeks. Meantime, 
Buffalo led Penn State at halftime three weeks ago, I think it was, and they beat Temple last week, 38-22. to So how is it that Buffalo is only a three-point favorite? They shouldn't be. They should be like an eight-point favorite. Public likes Buffalo. I like Miami plus the three at home. That's a different line than the radio show. I actually had it wrong on covers this morning. They are plus three, not minus one and a half. I like Northern Illinois getting six and a half uh, at Vandy. Northern Illinois got crushed last week by Nebraska. Uh, People are assuming the SEC team is much better than the Mid-American Conference team. I like Northern Illinois. Buy that one to plus seven. I've got it at plus six and a half. Uh, App State was a smell test pick last week against North Carolina. They won the game outright this week. They're laying 15 and a half against a decent team in Coastal Carolina. I like Coastal Carolina plus the 15 and a half. Public now after App State beat North Carolina, they're all over them. Uh, they'll have a letdown this week and barely beat Coastal Carolina. South Florida is getting seven against SMU, who is undefeated. They beat TCU last week. Uh, USF doesn't have what they've had in recent years. Uh, the public loves SMU laying the seven. I'll take USF plus the seven. Take New Mexico plus seven and a half at Liberty and take Rice plus 10 against Louisiana Tech. Those are the college plays. Let's move to Sunday where I've got five road underdogs in the NFL. All right. Uh, I love home underdogs in the NFL, but this week the smell test criteria brings in five road underdogs underdogs. Uh, There's also a couple of home dogs, but they're all dogs this week in the NFL. I'll start with this one. The Browns are getting six and a half against the Ravens. Uh, The Browns looked lousy last week, even though they were in the game against the Rams. Ravens looked pretty good in losing to the Chiefs. Public likes Baltimore. Give me the, the Browns plus six and a half. Buy that one to plus seven. Nobody's giving the Panthers a shot at Houston. Houston came back to beat the Chargers. They're two and one. By the way, I like Houston as a team. I like them a lot. Uh, I love Carolina on Sunday plus the four. Nobody is going to be betting Carolina. That means your bookie or your offshore book or even your legal sports book, I trust me on this. They're going to need the Panthers to cover the four against the Texans. And if they need the Panthers... You should need the Panthers. You know who else they're going to need? They're going to need the Titans, plus four at Atlanta. Take them. The Bills, plus seven. I'm taking a flyer on them. There's a lot of public action on New England. The the sharp action is split. I like Buffalo, plus the seven. I'm throwing them into the smell test. Uh, The Raiders got blown out last week. Indianapolis beat the Falcons. The Raiders are getting less than a touchdown at six and a half. Take them by it to seven again by that half point. But take the Raiders, plus six and a half. Um, the Chiefs are one of the biggest public plays of the entire weekend. They are laying six and a half in Detroit against the Lions, who are 2-0-1. Do you know that this is Patrick Mahomes' first game in a dome? First game indoors? Uh, if you thought he was good outdoors, imagine what he would be indoors. I like Detroit, though. Again, I got a lot of six and a halves here, Aaron. By the half point, take the Lions plus seven at home for smell test purposes it's the lions plus six and a half as we play the covers.com friday lines and then the last play of the weekend is your hometown washington redskins the redskins are a huge anti-public play and it makes sense daniel jones lights it up it's a new york team he's coming home for his home debut and the public better the average public better is lined up on the giants laying three right now 
Uh, I like the Redskins plus the three. It's the first time I've had them in the smell test this year. I am overall lifetime with the Redskins as the pick in the smell test or picking against them. 63.2% all time with the Redskins in the smell test. Do you think that's a made-up number? It's not. I did the math last year before the season, going back over all the years. Uh, 63.2% with the Redskins involved in the... 63.6%, excuse me, with the Redskins involved in the smell test. I like them plus the three. All right, recapping. Tonight, Duke plus two and a half. Tomorrow, Toledo plus one and a half. Miami of Ohio plus three. Northern Illinois plus six and a half. Coastal Carolina plus 15 and a half. South Florida plus seven. New Mexico plus seven and a half. Rice plus 10. On Sunday, the Browns plus six and a half. The Panthers plus four. The Titans plus four. The Bills plus seven. The Raiders plus six and a half. The Lions plus six and a half. And the Redskins plus three. That's a lot of six and a halves there. Buy those half points and get it to seven, uh, please. Uh, but for the purposes of this, uh, I will keep it at the covers.com Friday point spread. Uh, all right. What else did I have for you today? Um, I had a couple of other things real quickly that I wanted to mention. Um, the uh, Did you see this Twitter thing with B. Mitch and, and Chris Thompson? Aaron, did you see this? I didn't this? see this, no. Greg told me about it on the air today. So uh, I've got to pull it up here again because um, I forget the guy's name at Channel 9. I'm sorry about that. Um, I'm sure he does a great job. Uh, the guy at Channel 9 is Darren Haynes. He's the sportscaster at Channel 9. So he tweeted out yesterday, a source with the Redskins tells me that Jay Gruden isn't putting Haskins in a position to get better. He's not getting any reps with our offense. He's running mostly scout team. If Gruden keeps Haskins in this position, how will he ever be prepared to play? That came from Darren Haynes. Darren is the Channel 9, WUSA Channel 9 sports director and anchor. So Chris Thompson, the Redskins running back, responded to this. He responded by retweeting Darren Haynes' tweet and report, and he wrote the following. Chris Thompson wrote, can I say something? Yes, I can. He answers his own question. I've been in the league a couple of years, like six or seven. I've never heard of a backup quarterback taking team reps during the regular season unless he's playing. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion about everything, but don't just start making up stuff. This is Chris Thompson going back hard on Darren Haynes, the Channel 9 guy. Now, B. Mitch jumps into this thing. (laughs) Brian jumps into this thing, and he responds to Thompson. All right? Um, And I want to get this in order. Uh, I I have it here. You have the order of it? Yeah, well, at least this first one. He said, well, I played with four different head coaches, and the backups did get reps. How else do you get them ready? Chris has played for basically Jay, so I understand his sentiment. I don't know why he he then tags Bram Weinstein for some reason. I'm not quite sure why. Uh, Just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It does. Yeah, so be Mitch going back hard on Chris Thompson. 
And then Chris Thompson responds, yeah, I've been with Jay basically my whole career. I love Jay. I love being a Redskin. I hate losing. I want to be a champion so bad I'm going to ride with my squad through it all. And then he responds again to Brian because Brian then had another tweet back to him. We were prepared all the time. Maybe you all should try it. Coaches today still do it. Whatever works should be tried, point blank. You can defend what hasn't. That's cool. We won consistently. Can you say the same? Back to Chris Thompson. And so, <laughs> I said this this morning. Look, I love B, Mitch. and I love Chris Thompson's one of my favorite players on the team. He's a first-rate guy. He responds to Brian, Okay, Super Bowl champ coach. You have all the answers. I wasn't even coming at you sideways at all, but I guess because I haven't won consistently, and then he says parenthetically, because unprepared, I can't have an opinion or I can't speak on something when something is true or false. Got it. Um, B. Mitch and Chris Thompson in a Twitter battle started by Darren Haynes from Channel 9. Look, um... My first reaction when Greg read me the Darren Haynes thing was, backup quarterbacks don't get reps in the regular season. By the way, I don't know why not. I asked Joe Theismann, actually we did this on the on the podcast a couple of months ago. Remember when I asked Cooley, I'm like, why can't the Haskins just, why can't they stay late for an extra 10 plays to get Haskins right. the work? And remember Cooley was like, well, what do you want him to do? Stay for another hour and a half? I'm like, no, like another 15 minutes to get Haskins 10 plays. I don't get that. Like, I really don't understand that. But, you know, ever since they've had, you know, these latest, you know, CBA versions, you know, and there have been practice limitations, backups don't really get reps in practice. That has been something we've heard for years. Now, in Brian's day, they probably got more because there weren't the limitations on practice time and hitting and all that stuff is my guess. I don't know. Now, in terms of him really going after Chris Thompson that way, this is what this organization and all of us have, have sort of gotten to. It's it's just the this culture of losing brings everybody down, man, and it, it has everybody at each other's throats. Former players who won Super Bowls, current players who haven't won anything, current players who understand. Chris Thompson's not making it up. You know, Chris Thompson's not making up that the the backup quarterback doesn't get reps. And Brian's not making up the fact that that's the way they used to do it. Backup quarterbacks used to get reps to get them prepared. And by the way, again, I don't know why backup quarterbacks don't get reps. I would be like, hey, guys, we're staying an extra 15 minutes today. Sorry. You're going to have to put, you know... uh, uh, you're going to have to put all of your, your video game stuff on hold for a little bit. We're going to get Dwayne some reps with the starters against the starters for 15 minutes here. We're going to get him seven or eight reps. I don't understand why they don't do that. But anyway, um, there you have it. Chris Thompson and Brian Mitchell in a Twitter beef, uh, which was interesting um, this morning or late last night. I don't even know when it happened, actually. Um all right, I guess that's it for the day. My prediction on Redskins, uh, I got the Redskins 30-28. to 28. I have them winning this game, and I've got Landon Collins playing well and knocking out Daniel Jones. 
That was my prediction on the radio show. The funny thing is on the Channel 4 show, which you can watch Sunday morning at 1130, it was Clinton Portis, Sherry Burris, John Kime, and yours truly, 1130 a.m. Channel 4. Um, I actually predicted the Redskins to lose a close game, but I changed my mind this morning. I think the Redskins, Redskins win a close game, and for a brief moment, for a brief moment, you're like, hmm, all right, well, they'll lose to the Patriots, but then they'll beat the Dolphins, and they'll be 2-4, and four, and they're going to look good offensively against the Giants, and people are going to believe that they can come home against the 49ers and get to 3-4, and four, and then there's a big game in Minnesota against the Vikings and Kirk Cousins, and we can handle him at 3-4 and four to get to 500. Uh, I, I think they're going to cover this week. I just think the Giants stink on defense. Uh, anyway, uh, thanks to Aaron. Thanks to Jeff Ehrman. Aaron and I are going to the Maryland game tonight. We'll have more on that on Monday. Obviously, we'll have a follow-up to the Redskins. We'll get you ready for the Nats as well. Um, thanks to Mama Lucia. All right, they brought food in again today. They're awesome. David, great job. We love their food. Sicilian-style pizza was really good. Uh, their meatball subs the other day were excellent. The pizza's great. Mama Lucia's in, in you know, locations all over. The one in Bethesda's right there on Elm Street. The one in Rockville is there on the Pike. Uh, Mama Lucia, uh, thanks for bringing in food to the podcast today. Uh, if you're listening uh, on, on iTunes or Apple, uh, rate us, review us, subscribe. Always helps. Doesn't cost you anything. And also, uh, just a reminder, I'm on radio 7 to 10 on 980 every morning. And you can listen to this podcast if you're not listening to it on Stitcher or TuneIn or Spotify or Google Play or iTunes or Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to it on the com. All right, that's it for today. Appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the weekend. Talk to you on Monday.